Chapter 15 A Train to the West Country I don't go to work the next day. Instead, I log into Dark Worlds as early as I can and find Lacoze and Ailsa are already online. It seems they're as bitten by the addiction as I am. It turns out Glastonbury isn't such an easy place to get to by train in 1927, or any other time come to that. We have to catch the Great Western Railway from Paddington Station and travel west as far as Bath. There we change to the Somerset and Dorset Railway, and even then we have to change one more time at Cole before taking the branch line west to Glastonbury and Street Station. After working out the route and buying the tickets, after queuing with polite NPCs at the ticket office, we board our train, hear the engine build up steam, and the platform rolls away behind us. We leave the heart of the city and then the suburbs. London is much smaller in 1927 and I'm amazed Acton is mostly fields. The March weather is heavy with sweeping showers of rain that clatter on the windows of the train as it puffs its way west. The trees are bare of their leaves, and what cattle we see in the low-lying fields look half-perished from the cold. When we finally pull in, at the end of a long journey, Glastonbury and Street Station is to the west of the town centre. A row of taxis wait outside the station, and we catch the first one in the line. Not knowing where we're going exactly, we ask him to drop us outside the abbey ruins. When the cab pulls away, I look around. The place feels rural and old. Carts move around the streets and women nod to each other as they pass. There's also a strange atmosphere as if uncanny things happen here. Although we technically don't need somewhere to stay the night, Ailsa thinks it will add to the atmosphere and persuades us we should book in somewhere to use as a base for our operations while we're in town. We choose an ancient-looking inn called the Georgian Pilgrims. My wiki tells me it was founded in 1470 during the reign of Edward IV as an inn for visitors to the Abbey in the Middle Ages. We walk through the grey stone entrance and I feel a drop in temperature and a strange sense of foreboding. Looking for the reception desk, we pass a row of dark snugs to the right where countrymen sit drinking cider. The bar is to the left and the reception desk of the hotel slightly in front of us. We're greeted by a severe-looking woman in her fifties with a pince-nez and graying blonde hair pulled up into a bun. Three rooms, is it? Her obvious disapproval at whatever she imagines our preferred arrangements are causes Ailsa to burst into a fit of the giggles. The woman looks down her nose at Ailsa and regards her flower crown with disdain. Three rooms will be fine, I say. Lacoze nods. She gives us three keys and we sign our names in the guest book. I don't know what to put as my address, so I put Crowley's apartment in Gower Street. Business done. The woman has no further interest in us. She returns to her ledger and lets us carry our bags upstairs with no further comment. The rooms are up an ancient-looking stone spiral staircase. Ailsa switches on her clairsentience and says, Oh, this place is stuffed with ghosts. I grin. What do you expect? It must be five hundred years old. We each go to our rooms and standing at the doors we agree we'll meet later and go out and look in the abbey ruins together for any clues to the red powder. The others have things in the real world to do so they plan to log off for a while. I have no desire to go back into my real life, so I decide to look around the town. The Georgian Pilgrims is at the bottom of the sloping high street. It looks just like I'd imagine an English country town to look in the 1920s. There are cobbler's shops and draper's shops as well as a tea merchant and a wine merchant. There's an ironmonger's just opposite the church. The church is dedicated to St John the Baptist and looks about the same age as the inn. I'm gratified when my wiki tells me it's 15th century, though there are documentary records back to the 12th century and probable Christian worship before that. There's a sign on the gate into the churchyard saying it's also the site of the Glastonbury Thorn. 
The wiki is my greatest friend. The Glastonbury thorn is a species of thorn tree that grows only in the Holy Land. A link from that page sends me to the associated legend. The story is, Joseph of Arimathea brought the holy thorn with him as his staff when he came to Glastonbury after the death of Christ. He's also supposed to have brought with him the Holy Grail, that vessel from which Christ and his disciples drank from at the Last Supper, which according to other legends was later used to collect the blood of Christ after he was pierced by the spear of Longinus as he hung on the cross. It seems unlikely to me that Joseph of Arimathea ever came to Somerset, but what do I know? From the churchyard I look east and can just see the top of the Glastonbury Tor. The strange sugarloaf-shaped hill rises high over the surrounding flatlands. On its summit is a single medieval tower, all that remains of a medieval abbey church. The tower is named after St. Michael, that angel who is to fight the great beasts that will come in the time of revelations. I turn to continue my journey along the high street. At the top is a T-junction where roads go left and right. On this corner there's a chemist shop, and the skillfully painted sign on the outside says, William Cowper, Apothecary. More interesting than that is the glowing book icon that tells me a game trainer is to be found inside. I go into the shop. I'm the only customer and there's no one standing behind the counter. Shelves at the back of the shop display chemicals and medicines in thick glass jars with silver writing. I guess they contain ingredients for making up into tablets and potions. There's a scale and various types of spoons and dispensers as well as flasks and measuring instruments. The poison's cupboard with its skull and crossbones is on the left-hand wall, locked up. The shop must have some way of alerting the shopkeeper a customer has entered because a grey-bearded man clumps down the stairs in heavy boots. He wears a white shirt with a black waistcoat and a black jacket. His hair is long with a beard in the Victorian fashion. His hair is almost completely grey with the odd black streak. The chemist's face is irregular with a large hooked nose and eyes as brown and shiny as horse chestnuts. May I help you, he says in his West Country English accent. I point behind me to the door and the icon which is now invisible. I see from your icon you offer training. Is that correct? They can't see icons of course but he knows what I mean. He cocks his head like a blackbird and I think that's what he reminds me of, a curious, wise bird. After consideration, he says, I am a trainer, yes. What would you like to learn? I ask him what skills he can teach. He stares at me as if weighing me up and says, chemistry, pharmacy, herbology, and alchemy. I ponder the alternatives. I've got skill points, but I need to be focused, I say. Alchemy sounds interesting. What does it allow me to do? He clears his throat as if delivering a well-prepared speech. I wonder how many times he's explained this to players. Alchemy is the science of producing potions. I can teach you the basics of crafting potions, then, depending on how many points you commit to the study, you will achieve mastery and can begin making recipes for yourself from ingredients you've researched. Crowley hinted at this. So, I can learn to make potions that restore my health and mana, he nods. I can teach you the recipes, then you need to go and get the ingredients for yourself. And can you teach me to make Soma, the potion that restores sanity? The man scowls. I wouldn't take that foul brew. Once you have the taste of it, you always want more. Much better to meditate to regain mana. He glances at my dog collar. Or pray in your case as a Christian minister. As he speaks, I feel the first tugs of my craving for the Soma. The drug itself is miles away and the only supply I know of is kept by Alistair Crowley. It's likely before I return to London I will be doubled up with the griping pains of withdrawal 
and seeing God knows what kind of hallucinations. That makes my mind up. I will learn alchemy. I know he's an NPC, but this guy seems nice. I say, I'm sorry, I've been very rude. What do they call you? He looks at me like I'm a fool. My name is in big letters on the outside. I'm dumb sometimes, I smile and shrug. Ah, yes, uh, William Cowper. The very same. Well, Mr. Cowper, I would like to put 30 points into learning alchemy. A message appears on my HUD. William Cowper offers to teach you alchemy. Do you accept? I select accept, and the familiar routine begins. My teacher stares deep into my eyes, and I enter a learning trance. All I hear is his pattering voice. The room and the world outside hardly exist anymore. He talks of sulphur and salt and quicksilver. He talks of the prime material and the blackening. He talks of the hooded crow and the death's head. He talks of things beyond knowing and the philosopher's stone. Then the lesson is finished. I check my HUD for my new abilities. Create a basic health potion. It will restore 30 health points. Ingredients, spring water, bark of the silver birch, juniper berries. Cost to create one potion, 10 mana points. Create a basic mana potion. It will restore 30 mana points. Ingredients, spring water, fly agaric mushrooms, hawthorn berries, spider web. Cost to create one potion, 10 mana points. It looks cool and I'm keen to make my first potion. I just get these ingredients and put them together, spend the mana points and I have the potion. Is that correct? Then I think. Will I be able to identify the herbs that are ingredients? He shakes his head. Not without herbology. I curse. This is getting complicated. I have a few skill points left, but I want to learn pistols. How many points to be able to identify the ingredients for these potions? Not many. There are low-level ingredients for basic-level potions. So, how many points? In herbology, I nod. Say, ten. Okay, let's go. William Cowper offers to teach you herbology. Do you accept? I commit ten points. Then I'm in his eyes again, and he's muttering to me about the stamen and the calyx, about poultices and rubs, about habitats and grafting. Then we're done. I know a little more. So now do I have what I need to make the potions? He purses his lips. Not exactly. You'll need a laboratory. You'll need an alembic, a retort, test tubes, a Bunsen burner, and for some of the other potions, a sublimator to collect the vapor. It sounds like it's going to cost me a fortune and reminds me I need to make money so I can get my own place. Once I get my own flat or even a house, I can set up an alchemical laboratory. But now I don't know where I can make my potions. There must be somewhere, or the skills are useless. Once again, the NPC displays the uncanny ability to read my mind. Either that, or maybe I'm just predictable. Copa says, I have a laboratory in the back you can have use of. Fantastic, that's really kind. Then I pause. Can I ask you about something called the red powder? He frowns. Something I've said has made him cautious. Finally, he strokes his chin. The red powder is one of the ingredients of the elixir of life. The elixir is a high-level potion. The elixir of life. He's someone who might know what it can do. Can the elixir bring the dead to life? He doesn't answer. He fixes me with his brown eyes and I continue. I, I have a friend. Had, maybe. I stop and start again. Do you know about the cold ones? It's like a shadow covered the sun. He looks at me as if trying to work me out, or my allegiances, maybe. I wait a while and realise he's not going to answer that question. Perhaps I need to build trust with him. Some games work like that. I ask him about the red powder. There was mention of a white powder too, he nods. Both are required. I'll try to fish some more, but he won't expand on what he said already. All he says is, you have to walk before you can run. Pretty cryptic, but clearly that's all I'm going to get. I bow to him. 
Well, Mr. Cowper, you've been very useful to me. I'll go and gather the ingredients for the potions and come back to use your laboratory, if I may. Possibly not today. You'd be very welcome, Reverend. The way he says it makes me think he isn't keeping quiet because he dislikes me. It's like I should prove myself to him first. I leave the shop and walk down Glastonbury High Street towards the Georgian Pilgrims. I see there's an alley just past the church on the right-hand side of the street. Lacoz and Elsa probably won't be back in the game yet, so I decide to explore a little more and take this narrow passage. Going that way allows me to visit the Glastonbury Thorn. I step into the churchyard through a gap in the iron railings and I study the wizened tree. But, to my unbotanical eyes, it just looks like a small tree. Then, I decide to switch on my clairsentience. The tree glows a vibrant white, marking it as a carrier of holy magic. I decide to take a cutting which I put inside my breast pocket for luck. I continue down the alley which opens to a crossroads of back streets. I'm choosing which way to go when a masked man steps out in front of me. It's one of the men who were watching me in London. This one's eyes glitter like a snake and a brown handkerchief is pulled over his mouth. It doesn't look like he means me any good, so I turn to see my way back is blocked by another of these men. They all dress the same, the same brown suits and hats pulled down low, and all have kerchiefs over their mouths. I back away from one towards the other, but they block me in the alley like corks plugging two ends of a pipe. I reach tentatively for my gun, and both men go for theirs. They don't know what a bad shot I am, but I do, and I don't want to die in this alley. My mouth goes dry and my heart starts to beat faster. I think of pushing my way past and seeing what they'll do, but the menace in their eyes let me guess what that might be. A third man steps out of the side street in front. He's dressed like them with a mask over his face. He's been observing me from behind them, and he has an air of authority. My hand twitches as I raise it ready to pull out my browning. I wouldn't, he says. Wouldn't what? You use that gun. There's three of us and you'll be dead in seconds. And I think you've already found out what happens to those who die in this game. Involuntarily, I step away from him. How much does he know about me? Does he know about Miranda? I decide to try and talk my way out of the problem. I put up my hands and say, What do you want? I can't see his mouth, but his voice has a smile in it. Let me introduce myself. I am Mervyn Gerdrock. I recognise the name. He's the one who was bothering her Sprengler in Hampstead. At the same time as he speaks, he reveals his name and level to me. Also, his guild, Mervyn Gerdrock, level 20 Warlock, the Brothers of Shadow. So, he's a player just like me, in the Brothers of Shadow. I guess the other masked men are his guildies. I want him to know as little about me as possible, but with him as level 20, he probably has the skills to know who I am already. I reveal my name, Adam Cadmon, level 2 Priest, no guild. Gerdrock says, I'm Deputy Guildmaster of the Brothers of Shadow. I just wondered if you'd like to join our little guild. I force a smile. You cost me in an alley to invite me to join your guild, he shrugs. We were just keen to have a word with you without your friends. Not everyone approves of the Brothers of Shadow. I remember Lacoz keeps his guild name concealed, and I wonder whether he's one of them in secret. One of the others speaks to Gerdrock. I don't recognise the language. It sounds vile and there's something about the man's voice and Gerdrock's too. They slur their words as if they have a mouthful of needles, but of course I can't see their mouths disguised behind the handkerchief. I wonder whether the other two masked men are also player characters. They don't reveal their names and levels to me. I gesture to them. Can you ask your men to put your guns down, please, if we're all to be friends? Gerdrock gestures for his two accomplices to holster their pistols. They do as he tells them. Good, he says. I like the fact you think we can all be friends. 
I wasn't thinking of joining a guild, I say. I've never been much of a joiner of any kind. Gerdrock's eyes are glassy as if he's on drugs, he says. Players who don't have a guild to back them don't last long in this game. You can go cold or warm, but without a guild, that's where you're going. I hear his words, I even listen to them. But he's going to have to sell his guild better than this, I say. The Brothers of Shadow? That sounds a little sinister. I also wonder about your class. Isn't the Warlock given over to dark magic? Gerdrock says, this game and the world beyond the game are being taken over, consumed by things you can't understand. You're talking about the great old ones. I'm trying to make it sound like I know more than I do, and he knows it. My words don't score a hit. His expression is unchanged. In fact, I get the impression he's smiling behind his mask. He says, the great gods indeed. Then he adopts a tone like he's my big brother and only looking out for me. It's senseless to fight them. The only way we can survive is by joining them. He's talking about these rogue AIs, I say. I thought the great old ones didn't give a damn whether we lived or died. He shrugs. It's true, some of the more alien entities are impossible to communicate with. But that's why we make alliances with the ones that have a level of sentience. When we pledge our allegiance to them by their power, they protect us from the others. That kind of makes sense. So if I join you, that means I don't get gobbled up. I don't become one of the cold ones or the warm ones. Gerdrock nods excitedly. You understand? I knew you would. We've been following you since your character was created. We follow everyone. Some don't prove to be worth our time, but you're clever. I can tell from talking to you. A little flattery now I play along. And what are the other benefits of joining the Brothers of Shadow, in addition to not being annihilated? He gives a hollow laugh that sounds like a child on helium. There's something not right about this man. His mask is there to hide some deformity, I'm sure of it. And I wonder whether that is the price of allegiance to the great old ones. They disrupt your code. He says, we can teach you dark magic. You won't find any open teachers in the game that can teach you spells of summoning. How to summon haunters and night gaunts to do your bidding. We can make you intensely powerful. I look over Gerdrock's shoulder down the alley. The other two masked men are watching me intently. There's no way I can bust my way past them. I want to leave, but still best keep them sweet. I'm interested. Can I have time to think about it? His tone changes. There's little time to think about these things. The end is coming. I joke. What if I get a better offer? He's clearly not a man with a sense of humour, Gerdrock snarls. There is no better offer. Then I think to ask him. The cold ones. Can they be brought back? He watches me with his glassy eyes. You talk of secrets, deep secrets. We don't reveal that to those who are not of our guild. I grin. Okay, but it was worth asking time to go. I step down the alley to the side of the first masked man. The first brother doesn't want to let me pass, but Gerdrock says something to him. He speaks again in that language. This black speech contains echoes of a coffin lid being hammered down, of baboons ripping apart their prey, of a house fire consuming its inhabitants. The sound of it chills me. But whatever Gerdrock says works. The masked man steps aside and lets me go. I keep walking without looking back. Gerdrock calls from behind me. Remember, Reverend Cadmon, we shall meet again. I raise my hand to acknowledge I've heard him, but I don't turn my head. I'm halfway to the high street now. I hear a fanatical edge in his voice. Those who are not with us are against us. I turn on an impulse and switch on my clairsentience. The three of them glow a wicked red. I shout back. I'm definitely interested in learning the magic. I'll let you know.